Um, so, a little bit of an intro before we pray. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a teaching on leadership slash character study about Joseph. Uh, tonight, we're going to do something similar on David. I love David. I have a huge friend crush on David. I wish I could be his friend. Um, he was a great man, but he messed up a lot. Tonight we're not going to talk about his mess-ups, although we might in the future, because it's important to know uh, what bad leadership looks like, too. (laughs) But tonight, um, I want to encourage you guys in the responsibility that comes with leadership, because a couple weeks ago when I taught on Joseph, one of the things that I pointed out is that leadership is influence. It's nothing more, it's nothing less, and that means that everybody, everybody has a sphere of influence, influence, which means everyone has the ability and the capacity to step into a leadership role by influencing the people that you are around rather than letting them influence you towards, well, whatever they might influence you towards. You, you have the ability to like counteract that through the Holy Spirit and through what you know. Um, tonight, uh, for the sake of balance, we're going to be talking about the responsibility that comes with leadership, specifically the title of leadership because there is a big difference in having the ability and the capacity to lead versus actually having the title and the responsibility of being out front in front of people Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's important that we we do both because everyone in here is a leader in their own right everybody in here has a gift everyone in here has a calling from the Lord everyone has every everybody has a choice to step into the leadership role that the Lord would have you step into. But by stepping into that role, you also have to know that that role comes with responsibility. And that is a big, those are big shoes to fill. And we don't want to downplay that at all. So I'm going to pray. And then um, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 15. Um... And just kind of go from there. Cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Uh, Dad, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you so much for your word and what it says. Uh, we thank you that <laughs> there is no better leader than you. There is no better leader than your son and your spirit. And I just thank you for what your word, your word reveals about leadership and about the responsibilities that come with it. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead this teaching that uh, everything that would come out of my mouth would be from you and inspired by you. Um, and just that we would all be ready and willing to see what the Word says about responsibility. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. Um, so, I said this before, but I want to say it again. Every, every person has the ability and the capacity to lead. Because leadership is influence. That's all it is. Everyone in this room has the ability to influence the people around you at any point in time. You know? Um, In fact, some of the best leaders are the ones that remain hidden. And you never even know that they were there. Um, One of my favorite leaders in the Bible is Barnabas. Because Barnabas, literally, his name means the son of encouragement. And without Barnabas sticking up for Paul, Paul wouldn't have had the ability to 
make peace with the rest of the disciples and start his apostleship. But because of Barnabas's influence with the rest of the apostles, uh, Paul was brought into the fold and then wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So Barnabas is brought up a couple times. He goes on a couple missionary journeys with Paul, and then you never hear from him again. But without Barnabas there, you would not have a Paul the way that we have Paul and have had Paul in the past, and, and we would not have Paul's letters, I don't think. Um, I think that's a big deal. His name is only mentioned a, a few times in the Bible, and, and you don't hear from him. And we all praise Paul. We all like to think about Peter, but one of the best apostles in the Bible is Barnabas. And I think that's awesome. Leading from the back, not really noticing or realizing that he's there. Um, I just think that's something that's super powerful. Uh, now, having said that, being a leader and being promoted to a leadership position with a title are two vastly different things. And if you know God is calling you to a specific position of leadership, whether you have a title or not, there is a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Now, having said that, the responsibility should not be anything that scares you because fears of the enemy. However, you also have to know and you have to realize that without an intimate relationship with the Lord, you will fold under that responsibility. The weight of it will crush you. Um, and I don't say that to scare anybody, but we have to realize that when God, when God specifically calls us to a position of leadership, it's usually something and involves something extraordinary. And it involves something that is bigger. There's a bigger picture to it than we realize. And without Him being there to lead us and guide us, without us relying on Him, the responsibility of it all will, it, it will hurt. It will weigh on us and it won't feel great. Right. Um, many times I've, I've seen people fight for the title and the respect that comes with the, with the leader, with leadership, but then they fall apart under the responsibility of it all. Um, sometimes it was because they fought to be in a position that was never meant to be theirs, but more often than not, it was because they lacked the character and an understanding of the responsibility that came with leadership that caused their failures. Um, I say this a lot whenever I, whenever I talk to people about leadership and like coaching them and what they need to do in order to be a better leader, but there are a lot of people who want to be a leader but don't actually want to do the role, want to do the job of being a leader. They want the title, they want the respect, but very few people actually know what actually goes into being a leader. Very few people understand the responsibility of it all. Very few people know what it entails and everything that they have to do in order to make sure that the job gets done and gets job done well. I said this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Joseph. One of the biggest lies that this world has ever given us is that a team is only as strong as its weakest link. That's not true. It's not true at all. I know because I'm in a position of leadership at my job. I'm the manager there. And when my weakest link fails, it's not the company that falls apart. I can't let the company fall apart because of my position as a leader. A, a team is only as strong as its leader. When you study history, when you look at the rise and fall of countries, 
It is never the country's weakest link that causes the country to fall. It is the leader. It is never the country's weakest link that causes the country to rise. It is its leader. One of the, out of all the leadership things that I've read, leadership conferences that I've been to, leadership books that I've read, leadership podcasts that I've listened to, one of the things that they always mention is that the leader is always the cap for whatever they're leading. And if that leader stops growing, then you can best believe that everyone else will too. And if they don't want to stop growing, then they will find somewhere else to be. So I say all that to say, being a leader, having that title, it's a big responsibility. Because you're not just responsible for yourself anymore. You're responsible for everyone who follows you. You're responsible for setting the tone. You're responsible for setting the atmosphere. Um, no matter what it looks like. So, as much as it might hurt to hear, one of the greatest leaders over the past century is Adolf Hitler. And you guys might not like to hear that, but the fact of the matter is, he, he led an entire country to be a dominant power and take over almost an entire continent. People followed him and his crazy ideas, despite how crazy they were because of the influence he had and because of the responsibility he was able to take hold of and walk in. Was he possessed by demons? Definitely. 100%. But if we're being honest with ourselves, he was an amazing leader because he knew how to influence people to do the things that fit his goals and his vision. Right? Um, now, on top of that, you had to have better leaders in order to beat him. So thank God for some of the leaders that were a part of the, what, are, what is it called? They were the access, right? The allies. The allies. Yes, thank you. I need to brush up on my history. Thank you. Let's see, this is a weakness of mine. That's why I rely on you guys. Cause, <laughs> um, and it's important to know your strengths and your weaknesses, too. So uh, here's the thing. God wants to promote us. God wants to promote us. God wants to do the promoting. He does not want us stealing positions or titles that we aren't ready for or that we're not meant to have. That's a big deal. Um... Who wants to read for me? Anybody? It's a whole chapter. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan raised his hand first. Yeah. I want you to read. I'm just kidding. Actually, no, I'm kidding. Kidding that I'm kidding. I'll read. First Samuel 15. Go there. Uh, Savannah, if you want to go to First Samuel 17, 15 for me. First Samuel... No, I'm sorry. My, I think I. First Samuel 16. It was First Samuel 16. I have my reference written down wrong. First Samuel 16. That's where we're starting, not 15. All right, Nathan. 16. Yep. First Samuel 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will? It, oh no, not KJV. <laughs> 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 you don't want to read old Thou English? Come on. Now funny. the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? 
fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? Saul hears that he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab mm-hmm. and said, Surely the Lord's anointed before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen me. <coughs> then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for he, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent him by the son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. 1 Samuel 17:15. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Alright. So a couple things I want you guys to notice here. In verse 13, um, in first, in first Samuel's, in first Samuel 16, verse 13, it says that David was anointed to be king in front of his entire family and that the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It never left. All right. I think that's amazing. Because obviously the spirit of the Lord wasn't living inside of David at that time. But David is the only other person in the Bible recorded 
that I know of, that the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him as if just like Jesus and then never left. I think that is crazy. That's just a little cool snippet, important thing that could be touched on later. The thing I want you to see is that he was anointed king. All right? And then the king said, hey, come play before me so that you can get rid of this evil spirit. And David did. And Saul loved him so much at that time that he became Saul's armor bearer. He followed Saul around almost everywhere, playing his harp or his fiddle or whatever stringed instrument it actually was, and holding on to Saul's armor so that whenever Saul needed it, he could put it on. And then after all of that, whenever Saul didn't need him, in verse 15 of chapter 17, David returned from Saul to go feed his father's sheep every time. <clears throat> David was anointed king and then was asked to be Saul's armor bearer. And David knew where he was headed because of how he was anointed. But he embraced God's timing and God's journey for him. He faithfully served his leaders so that he could become a better leader. Yet at the end of every day, he would return to his father's sheep. David was a man that understood responsibility and what was asked of him. It was one of the reasons why he became such a great leader, why he conquered the Philistines, why he became such an amazing warrior king. Now, did he have his downfalls? Yes, 100%. We're not going to talk about this tonight. We could spend all night doing that. But the thing that I want to highlight here is that he understood the responsibility that came with the title of leadership and that when you become king your responsibility is to your people he understood that even though he was anointed king there was already somebody on the throne and that his responsibility was to serve that king in order to make sure that he would be a better king because you reap what you sow and what I think is amazing and we're going to see this later on is that no matter how many times people how many times people pushed David to usurp Saul, he never did. And anytime anybody tried to usurp David, they always failed. Why? Because David knew that at the end of every day, his responsibility was to the Lord and what the Lord had called him to. And the Lord had not taken Saul off the throne completely yet. The Lord had given him a responsibility to take care of his sheep. He embraced that responsibility. One thing that I don't want for us as a family or for any individual in here when they get promoted to a position of leadership is for us to negate and run away from the responsibilities that God has called us to. I've seen too many people do it and it ends up hurting families. First off. And secondly... It hinders what God is trying to do in your life. I can't help but wonder how many of us have missed what God was trying to teach us because we didn't want to be somebody else's armor bearer and we didn't want to return to the sheep. I, uh, I, 
I was an armor bearer for somebody for a long time. Um, I, I helped them build a church. I uh, got to do a lot of great things for them, and the church is still around, so praise God. Um, and it was hard. And there were days that I just didn't want to show up. There were days that, like, I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just don't want to smell like sheep, you know? Not that, not, uh, and I'm not saying that, but, like, I mean, we all know that there's sometimes that people are just difficult, right? In any position of leadership that you're in, whether it's at a church, whether it's at work, whether it's, whether it's in your family, like, if we're being honest, the devil gets in the way. But it doesn't stop, that doesn't negate our responsibility and what we are called to in order to, like, take care of them. Because even though a lot of the times we want to take care of people because God values them, at the end of the day, we can't take care of people because we want to see them as valuable. We take care of people because of what God has called us to and who He's called us to be. At the end of the day, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to responsibility, you have to forget about everybody else. You have to forget about the fact that people are difficult and you do what God tells you to do because of who you are, who He's called you to be, and who He is in your life. Because He values obedience over sacrifice. Right? What I think is interesting is that the most influential people in the Bible, of the list of the most influential people of the Bible, the biggest majority of the list consists of shepherds. You guys realize this? People who had to take care of sheep and cattle. In uh, old Hebrew culture, the people who took care of the sheep and the cattle were like the lowest of the low. You didn't pay them any mind because they were out smelling like animals all day. They had to go out and spend nights in the wilderness making sure that their sheep and their cattle didn't get away, fending them off from wolves and bears and lions and tigers. Oh my, like... They had to take care of these animals that were defenseless. And they had to embrace that responsibility. When you think about some of the most inspiring people in the Bible, you think about David, you think about Moses, Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All of them had sheep and cattle that they had to take care of them. All of them at one point in their life, before God promoted them to go take hold of what God promised them, were shepherds. What I think is really interesting is at the end, when Jesus finally comes back to Peter to redeem the three times that Peter denied Jesus. All three times, Jesus asks him if he will take care of his sheep. Three times he asks that in order to counteract the three times that Peter denied Jesus. Right? And all three times, it wasn't about being an apostle. It wasn't about doing signs and wonders and miracles. It wasn't about getting salvations. It wasn't about the prophetic insights or the spiritual gifts. It was, hey, will you take care of my sheep? That was his primary goal. I think, I think that there's something that we miss out on when we forget about the little things that God calls us to. Um, I think it's, it's in the little things that we truly learn what responsibility is and we gain the strength to be able to take hold the bigger things that God has for us. Um, who wants to read for me real quick? Luke 
first? Yep, just the one. Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. God wants us to take care of the little things. Every true leader will take care of the sheep and embrace their role as a shepherd. Someone who knows their role embraces where they are and takes care of the things that others forget or deem less important. It's the little things, man. It's the little things. Um, cool. I don't want to rant about that too much. Because I will. Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel 18. We're going to look at we're just going to look at David and how he just goes about doing things. Because um, he's such an honorable man. And I, and I think that that, like, when we embrace what God has called us to and we embrace the responsibilities that he's called us to, like, we have to remain honorable no matter what happens. Uh, and I know that, like, some of this is pinpointed towards leadership because at the end of the day, my heart is really to, like, help you guys become better leaders. I really think that's what God has called everyone to is uh, at least all of his kids um, that accept him. Uh, I think he's called all of us to a position of leadership. Um, but this goes for life too. Everyday life. And if leadership is influence and we all have the ability to influence everybody at all times, then like you're a leader in every situation that you're in no matter what. If you choose to take, on, take that on and like embrace it. So, um, not that there's a pressure to that, not that there's like a perfectionism or a performance. And we're going to get into that too, because there are some examples where David does mess up that we're going to talk about, but like, it's a big deal to know what God has called you to and to be able to stand firm in it. There's, there's, it's just cool. So, uh, first Samuel 18 verses five through 15. Does anybody want to read that for me? Cameron Barton. Thanks. <laughs> Alright. Yep. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of the Lord, and he was accepted into the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one and another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousand. And Saul was very wroth, and they and saying displeased and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And when it came to pass huh? Adam. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, and as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. All right. 
Cool. So, a couple things here. I skipped over the whole David and Goliath part. Um, awesome story, but if you've grown up a Christian at all, or been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard that story. I don't want to kill it any more than it's already been killed. I want to focus on David's heart in this. Um, as a servant and as a leader and embracing the little things. He comes back and he says that I'm going to serve Saul no matter what and I'm going to behave myself wisely. Um, God, and Saul sets him over man of war and he goes out and he just destroys the Philistines. David is such a warrior because the Lord is with him. The Lord's just there the whole time. And David comes back and Saul's angry because of what people are singing over him. And it gets to the point to where Saul, David's playing does not ease Saul's heart and he kind of embraces this demonic spirit that's over him and decides he's going to kill David. And get this, David avoided out of his presence twice, which means Saul tried to kill David once while he was playing and David came back eventually and was like, all right, guess I'm going to do this again. And Saul goes, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to try to kill you again and throws the javelin a second time. And David's like, I got to get out of here. Right? Dude. So David, David's like deuces. But then he comes back, and he continues to behave himself wisely. I love this. I want to have this heart when it comes to people that are offensive. Because David behaved himself like a king. He knew what he was called to. He knew the people that he was meant to serve. And even if they were frustrating, he said, you know what? This is my position, and this is where I need to be. So this is what I'm doing. Um... He, he embraced the responsibility of his title and his calling without letting the actions of others deter him from what he knew that he was meant to do. And I think that that is super cool. Um, if you want to continue to read this chapter, you can. It's one of my favorites. Saul basically tries to trick David and say, you can't be king or marry my daughter because you got to kill all these Philistines. And David's like, I'll bring you 200 foreskins. And that's really cool. So David comes back with 200 foreskins of Philistines. And it's a big deal. Um, so First uh, Samuel 22, verses 1 through 2. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, I'm going to read this one. First uh, Samuel 22, verses 1 through 2 say, little background. At this point, David has been like, Saul's trying to kill me. I got to get out of here. So he goes on the run and meets the priest uh, Ahimelech, eats some showbread, and then is like, hey, that sword, I know that was Goliath. It's mine now. I'm going to take it. And then he books it. Um, and so at this point, David is running. And he's running away from Saul. And the kingdom knows that he's running away from Saul. Because, well, when you're high profile, when you're a high profile general like David was, everybody knows what you're doing, especially when your entire country is at war with another country, right? So uh, in verse 1, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to a cave, to the cave Adolham, Adolam. I hope that's how you say that. And when his brother and all of his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves to him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. 
I love this because David embracing the call of his life, embracing the responsibility that comes with it, when he finally leaves and says, I can't be here anymore because this guy is definitely going to kill me if I stick around. Um, the people that doubted him came to him to support him. If you go back and you reread 1 Samuel 17, when he goes to fight Goliath, his brothers are the first ones to doubt him and tell him to go back to the sheep. But it says here that his brothers and everyone in his father's house came to him to support him, to rally around him. And not only that, but the people who didn't like what Saul was doing, those who were distressed, those that were in debt, everyone that was discontented, they all gathered to him because they saw something in him. They saw this honor and this respect that he carried. They saw the Lord's anointing on him. They wanted to be with that. They wanted to be around that as much as they could. Um, one of the things that I that I like really love is 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 if you want to be something, and this is just a general rule, rule in life, if you want to be something, go hang out with people that are that. Right? David at this point in his life is a renowned giant killer and has been anointed to be king. And everybody knew that. And so rather than following a king that God rejected, they said, we want to be like this guy who kills giants. I want to be like this guy. I want to have the character of this guy. I want to have the respect and the integrity of this guy. I'm going to go be with this guy. As you embrace your call, those whom God has given you to lead, even if they were naysayers before, will end up following you in the long run. They just will. And that's not like a, it's not like a controller manipulation thing. Like, hear me out. Like people, they make their own choices. But, but what I'm saying is that like, for instance, if you get promoted to a leadership position at your work, if you continue to be a person of integrity, of character, if you stand for what is right no matter what, even the people who doubt you in the beginning because you haven't been there as long as them, they will fall in line because you stick with your word. One of the things that Jesus said in Luke 16 is that not only are those who are little and much, not only are they, not only are those who are faithful and little, will they be faithful and much, but he also says those who judge and are righteous in the little things will judge and be righteous in much. And so even the little things that you think don't matter, matter to God and matter to the calling that he has for you. These little decisions that you think don't matter, there's nothing insignificant when it comes to God's plan and role for your life. Not one. And if you treat any decision in your life as if it's insignificant, then, well, maybe there are because, like, sometimes it really doesn't matter what you eat for dinner as long as you get a meal, you know what I mean? Like, there, there, there are little things. But the things that concern people, the things that concern doing the right thing, there is nothing insignificant about any of those decisions, right? I think I think David knew that um, just because he spent so much time with the Lord uh, he had such a secret place with him you see it all throughout the Psalms you know um, which I love so uh, let's get to first Samuel 23 verses 1 through 5 I hope this is good and you guys are getting something out of this um, who wants to read this one for me anybody <coughs> 
One through five. I can do it. Go for it. Unless you want to do it. No, Okay. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Helah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. And David went... And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. I love this because, again, David, knowing that one day he will be king, embraces the responsibility of going forth and taking care of these Philistines. Like, his heart is so towards these people mm-hmm. that he, obviously he doesn't act or react to them. Um, without thinking about it first, which is amazing because when you're when you're in leadership of any kind, you have to you have to be thinking about what you're doing. But his heart is so drawn towards these people and defending them that he goes, Lord, can I can I go smite them? Can I go take care of this? And God's like, Oh yeah, I will deliver them into your hand. Um, and I love that because. David didn't wait for a crown to act like a king. He went forth and said, one day these will be my people. Today they are my people. It does not matter if I have a crown or not. They will be defended and these Philistines will be defeated. Um, I think that's great because again, it's that whole aspect of like the little things. The little things he could have left he could have been like well i'm not king yet i'm on the run from saul like there's no way i should do this because once i go fight these philistines and i win because the lord tells me i'm gonna win saul's gonna know exactly where i'm at and he's gonna come after me and you know what that's exactly what happened but david was like it doesn't matter i have to protect these people i have to defeat these philistines i have to do the right thing um if you read further uh, in verses 14 through 18 it says that David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day but God delivered him Saul sought him every day and God delivered him and David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. And that also Saul my father knows. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went back to his house. What I think is interesting is that Jonathan... At this point in time, because Saul is still on the throne, Jonathan has legal right to Saul's throne. But Jonathan, recognizing the anointing of the Lord, recognizing the character and the willingness to take on the responsibility that God had for David, 
he goes to David and he says, I know that I'm not going to be king like my father wants me to be. I know that this isn't going to go through my legacy and my lineage. I know that it's going to be you. And I want you to know I don't support my father in anything that he's doing. If it were up to me, my father would not have your head at all. And I will be here to support you when you win. I love that. I think that that's so awesome. And it speaks so much to the character and the influence that David had with people. How much people knew him. What I think is really interesting is that like the people that are coming around to support David are, 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 are people that knew, like not all of them obviously, but most of them, like Jonathan, his family, they were all people that knew David. They knew David's character. They knew how much he loved the Lord. They knew how great of a leader he would be. And Saul, someone that Saul considered David a son for a, at least a part of his life. That's the reason why David was his armor bearer. You know, they spent every day together. And David, you know, <laughs> defended Saul from from a from a evil spirit. You know, with his with his musical playing, Saul should have known who David was. But Saul was so interested in getting what Saul wanted that he missed who David was, and that was part of the reason why he went after him. I think. It wasn't just because he knew that David was going to take his throne. It was because he missed the character of David. I think that if Saul was truly a man after God's heart, like he was in the beginning, if he was truly about being obedient to God, he would have seen who David was and he would have repented. I think he would have torn his clothes and he would have wore a sackcloth and put ashes on his head because he knew that he wasn't that man anymore. I think that he would have willingly given the throne to David if he wasn't clearly possessed by this crazy evil spirit and if he truly knew who David was um, he wants to read a lot for me I have three more three more things that I want to talk about oh. <laughs> it's 22 verses Angel. <laughs> <Churchy, bro. laughs> Yeah, Caitlin, go for it. Where are we going? We're going to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. Okay. Oh, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of en Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfold by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words, and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed to him. 
And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. And the proverb of the ancient says, Wickedness proceeds from wicked, from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue, a dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And when you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Awesome. Um, I love this story. One, because Saul very clearly went into that cave to probably poop. It's probably what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was relieving He had to take care of his needs. He had to take care of his needs at that time. And David was like, <laughs> the audacity of David <laughs> to sneak up behind him as he's doing whatever he's doing and go, got your robe, you know, and then like sneak back away. Um, I just find that hilarious. I think that God definitely has a sense of humor when it comes to some of these things and what he causes some people to do. Um, But what I love about this is that David, (laughs) David, so there's this thing that people do in the church sometimes where when leaders mess up, they'll say, oh, well, you can't touch the Lord's anointed. And that's not like what David is saying here. People use this verse in order to like justify the wrongs that some leaders do. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen them do it with, well, since I've been paying attention, uh, from George Bush to now, like no matter what leader was in office, whether whether it was Bush or Obama or Trump, um, people have constantly said, "Thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed." Uh, whenever anybody has a criticism or anything has anybody has anything negative to say about a president or or anyone in position of leadership, David very clearly knew and told everyone that Saul was wrong and was trying to kill him. He had his complaints. Uh, And when you read through the book of Psalms, you will see many of David's complaints about uh, Saul and how Saul had been his enemy and was trying to kill him and that he was trapped in the cave uh, and that he wanted the Lord to deliver him. 
Um, and what I think is interesting is that David, although he had his complaints, would not touch a hair on Saul's head. Um, I think I think what's really interesting here is that David behaved. Again, he behaved like a a king. He didn't he didn't need a crown to be a king. He behaved so righteously that Saul broke down, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came back into his right mind and was like, "Is that David, my son? Is this is this the man that like I've been hunting? You're more righteous than I am, and I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Please, I know that one day you will be king." Do not cut off my lineage. Don't kill us all. Um, and you don't see anywhere else in the Bible where Saul comes back in order to try to kill David after this point because of David's righteous deeds. What I think is so amazing about David's humility in this is that when he says, Hey, King Saul, immediately after Saul turns around, he bows down because he knows that Saul is still his king. And he still embraces Saul as the king. He still says, you know what? It is my responsibility to continue to embrace you as my king. No matter how much I don't like your actions. No matter how much you've hurt me. No matter how much you're trying to reward me for evil. I refuse to touch you. I refuse to see you as anything other than my king. And even though I have my criticisms. And I've told people, you're trying to kill me. I, I won't touch you. I won't do it. And I could have. And the Lord probably would have rewarded me for it. But I will not touch someone that, that the Lord anointed to be king over me. Even if, he, even if you're not supposed to be king anymore. I won't do it. I, I love that. I want to have that kind of heart. I can't say that I have it 100% yet. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't. Like... Um, but I, I want to have that so much when it comes to the people who are in leadership over me. When it comes to our senators, our mayor, our governor, our president, our this, our that, like whatever it is. Not just for the leaders that are over me, but for the people that are around me. Because everyone's a leader. And if we treated all of God's people like this, then I, I can't help but wonder what the world would be like how much more heaven would be like intact here how much more people would see it but it takes us embracing that responsibility of knowing that like God's called us to leadership he has no matter where you're at in your walk your identity is that of a king and a priest and if that's who we are then we have to embrace that calling. We have to embrace that responsibility. We can't just say, oh, well, my identity is a king and a priest and the devil can't touch me. We actually have to walk in that character and that attitude. Um, and just to, just to go a little bit further in this, just because I love like David's heart in this, let's go to 2 Samuel 9. There are two, two, two other points I want to make, and then... And then we're done. I know I've been talking for a little while. 51 minutes. <clears throat> um, a lot of scripture here. A lot of storytelling. But I just, I love David's heart, man. Love it, love it, love it. 
Yes. I love There is a song by Jonathan David Helser. Not Jonathan David Helser. John Mc McMillan. Thank you. Um, called Carbon Ribs. And he wrote it about this story. Um, and if you ever get a chance to listen to his live album, please do. Because he has this whole intro about it. It'll make you cry. Maybe it won't. It makes me cry. Um, I love it. It's so sweet. Uh, let's see. Bill, will you read this for me? Okay. I want you to read the whole chapter. The whole chapter nine. Yep, all thirteen verses. Okay. Now David said, "Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake?" And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called, had called him to David, the king said. To him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. And then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, and Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's son. And will restore to you all the land of Saul of your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog and die? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land. And you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, you shall sit at my table one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Hekon. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem where he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. Mm-hmm. Say that again. Mephibosheth. Uh, so a couple of different things I, I want to point out here about David, man. David being just the coolest guy. One, he told Saul that he would never cut off Saul's lineage. And two, he had a covenant with Jonathan. When you make a covenant with somebody, you, when, you, when you make a covenant with them, when you cut a covenant with them, you're saying that all that I have 
all that I owe, all that I own, and everything that I am is yours, and vice versa. Covenants only end with death. Jonathan is dead at this point, which means David has no responsibility to keep this covenant that he made with Jonathan. Jonathan's family is no longer his. Saul's family is no longer his because covenants only end in death. But David, loving Jonathan so much, and even loving Saul, because when you read in 1 Samuel 1, or 2 Samuel 1, what you end up seeing is that David like wept over Saul's entire family when they died. Um, Jonathan, uh, David loved Jonathan so much that he was like, I don't care that he's that he's dead and that I don't have a responsibility to this covenant anymore. I will keep it. And he goes out and he says, find me someone from Saul's house. Someone that I can bless. Someone that I can take care of. The only person that's left is this lame person. This, this, this guy is crippled. And in ancient times, you don't treat cripples well at all. They don't have a place at anybody's table. Their place is low. It's on the ground. They eat the scraps. And David said, I will, I will not bow to anyone's, I, like anything that anyone thinks about this person, I, I will not budge. From now on, I will treat him as if he was my family. I will treat him as if he is my own son because of the relationship that I had with Jonathan. He eats at my table as if he is one of the king's sons. David restores land to him so that he has a home and he has servants and says, I'll take care of your son too. You know? um, that's why uh, Mike has mentioned here because David took him in. Um, he wouldn't have been mentioned if it wasn't important. And I just think that that's amazing because, again, he's embracing the responsibility of what he took on. He doesn't run away from it. He doesn't say, oh, well, I could make all the excuses in the world for why I'm not going to do what I promised Saul and Jonathan that I'm going to do. I have, like, no reason to keep this because they're both dead, but I will keep it because I am righteous, and I know that I am righteous because of what God is doing in me and through me. I know that I must do the right thing because I am the king, and I set the standard, which I think is super awesome. Um, now, moving forward, um, David ends up doing some not so nice things. Rather than being at war like he was supposed to be, because he was supposed to be a warrior king, he ends up hanging out in the palace and looks across the way and sees a pretty girl taking a bath and says, I want her. Not a good thing to do. Not a good thing to do. He ended up sending this woman's husband off to war to the front lines had him killed it was not a good time not a good time in david's life i really doubt that any of us are ever going to make that kind of mistake where we get a guy killed so uh i think i think we already have a leg up on this um but one of the things that i really appreciate about this is this, not so much what David did at this part, but later on in his life, um, the story of how David repents for all of this. 
I just think it's so cool. Um, in fact, you know what? Let's let's just read it. Second Samuel twelve. You know what, Nathan? You're gonna read this one. Second Samuel twelve. Uh, one through twenty-four. Well, if he wasn't before, he will be now because he's reading it. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, and one, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the, for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Alright, stop for a second. David. David, man. This righteous king hears about this wrongdoing and I can just see him like sitting on his throne, like pondering his life, doing whatever kings do. I don't know. Back back then, like, I don't know what they did, but you know, I just David or Nathan comes and he's like, Hey David, like there's this bad thing that happened. What are you gonna do about it? And David's like, I'm a righteous king, we have to fix this. <laughs> Such a setup, man. Alright, keep reading, Nathan. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. I appointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. (coughs) Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. But they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Then David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. 
David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, he arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab you fought can, against... You can stop. Okay, cool. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple things. Kind of a bummer, right? Kind of a bummer to end on. Um... But there's a reason why we're ending on this note tonight. First off, I want to give you a little nugget because I think this is cool. When the Lord is speaking through Nathan in verse 8, God is listing off all these things that he has given David because of how much he loves David. And at the end of this verse, he says, If you wanted more, if you had too little, I would have given you more. I would have given you exactly what you wanted. I'm that good. And David goofed real hard. Um, he goofed. And so one thing that I, that I want to encourage you in when it comes to embracing the responsibility of, of, of life uh, as a Christian, as a king, as a priest, as a leader is that if you want more from the Lord, ask. Don't be afraid to. But don't ask without embracing what He's already called you to do. Because part of the reason why you may not have what you want is because you're neglecting what He's actually told you that you're supposed to be doing. Um, secondly, I want to highlight David's humility in this and his his heart to repent once he realizes what he's done um, I mean the whole nature of deception is that you don't know that you've been deceived and I know that when sin hits and I, I know from talking to other people that sometimes when sin hits it feels like you're not even in control anymore you're doing this thing. You don't know why you're doing it. And you just keep doing it. Paul says it in Romans 7. I do the thing that I don't want to do. And I don't know why I'm doing it. But I keep doing it. Who will deliver me right, from this flesh? Um, and David is no exception to this. And like Nathan the prophet comes and he's like, dude, this is what you did. And he's immediately, he's like, I've sinned. I messed up. What I love about this is that when you're in a position of leadership and you mess up, everybody knows because they're all watching. I mean, we look at our presidents and the history of our country and like the history of any country. Anytime anybody messes up, everybody knows about it. It's especially nowadays. News travels faster than wildfire because of the internet, right? Yeah. David, once he realizes what he did, he immediately, I have sinned against the Lord. 
and he fasts, he prays, he gets down on the ground asking for forgiveness. Um, and Nathan responds with, the Lord's put away your sin, you shall not die, but the child will, right? And David's like, well, who knows how the Lord will be merciful or gracious towards me because of how merciful and gracious he's been towards me in the past. I'm at least going to try. So he gets on the ground to repent and to fast and to pray for this child because he's like, I, this is my child. I don't want this child to die. I, not only do I have a responsibility to the people that I'm leading to show them that I'm repentant and show them that I'm repentant, but I have a responsibility to my family, my kin, this child that is now mine to fight for this child. And I will. Crazy. Of course, the child dies. His servants who have been watching him do this thing, they're like, we're so scared to tell him that this child is dead because we don't know how he's going to react. We don't know what he's going to do. He's messed up in the past. What if he messes up and gets angry and kills us? That's what Saul would have done, you know? Like, what's going to happen? What's going to do? What's, what, what is this? David recognizes what's going on. And he just gets up and he says, okay, my job is done. I'm going to put clothes on. I'm going to wash. I'm going to anoint myself. I'm going to eat some bread after I go and worship. Because despite what has happened, despite my sin that caused this, despite what people think of me, despite what is going on, I have a responsibility. And I will worship the Lord because he is good. And because of that, we have King Solomon that comes later on. Mm -hmm. um, what I think is interesting is that every time there is a death, any time that there is a death, especially if it's because the Lord has chosen to let something die or has killed that person himself because God does kill people sometimes and that's, that's just something that we have to grapple with as Christians that God does. Anytime there's death, God always brings new life. Mm -hmm. What I think is amazing is that in comforting Bathsheba, who is now David's wife, it was through comforting her and being intimate with her through the death of their firstborn son together that Solomon is conceived. That's what it says in verse 24. But without David's immediate intimacy with the Lord before that, by going to worship him, by embracing who he was still called to be despite his sin, he would not have had a worthy successor to the throne. Now Solomon sends her a whole other gamble. <laughs> and we're not going to get into that. But one of the things that I want to end this with and encourage you guys with, despite how like probably long-winded this teaching was, despite drilling responsibility into your head, and despite the fact that like there was a death, I don't think any of us are going to do what David did and have someone killed and then lose a child because of it. And so I think we have a head start when it comes to God and His goodness and His grace and His mercy. Not only that, but like we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, not just on us. The Holy Spirit rested on David. And never left, despite David's sins, which I think is great. Anyway, that's another like little ramble entirely. But what I want to encourage you guys with is, even if you've fallen, 
even if you have failed, even if you feel like you can't live up to the responsibilities that God has given you, you can get up. Failure is never everlasting. We move from glory to glory, and God causes us to triumph in all things. What the Bible says. The righteous man may fall, but he gets up seven times. Right? Like, there's so much to be said about David's life and his example. And if there's one thing that I want to leave you guys with tonight, it's that, like, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, (laughs) you didn't do what David did, and so you can come back from it. Like, you can't. You can take on what God has called you to take on, but you have to embrace one who he's called you to be. Well, not one. One, you have to embrace him. You have to have an active, intimate relationship with him. And then two, you have to embrace who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do and stop running away from it. If you can do those two things, no amount of, of heaviness, of pressure, of fear, of anxiety, of of rejection or anything that the enemy might throw at you to try to get you to neglect and negate your responsibilities will ever be able to take hold because God if you're if you're that intimate with the Lord God will constantly bring you back to your purpose he will bring you back to your identity because you're so focused on him and who he is you can't you can't neglect it so um, that is all that I have uh, hopefully it was good. Um, if you guys want to talk, we can or pray afterwards. We can. I know. Is Stephanie still here? Dang it! All right. Well, okay. So I'm gonna pray, and if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, we can talk about them. Um, so Dad, we just come before you in the name of Jesus, and I just thank you so much for what your Word says. I just pray, God, that you would um, just show us how to embrace you, who you are who we are, what you've called us to do, and all the responsibilities that come with that. I just pray that we would learn how to be responsible for our relationship with you, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationships with others, because honestly, that's where all of life stems from, is just relationship. Um, God created us for relationship. God created each and every one of us to be in relationship with him and and each other and, and ourselves. And so I just, I just ask that you would teach us... Um, that you would just keep being that voice in the back of our heads, letting us know what needs to be done and and teaching us how to embrace who you are and what you've called us to do and to rely on you throughout all of it. <laughs> all of it. Because uh, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Because that's just what your will is for us. We don't need to be scared of the responsibilities that you've called us to because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we just thank you. And we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.